podcast is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any services or products and any listener should seek independent advice before making any investment decision. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to In the Markets with Fred and Rory. Fred, how are you? I'm excellent, Rory. Delighted to be on here. We, we, we've had a bit of an unplanned break. Yeah, we had a bit of a bit of an unplanned break. You know, you've been you've been too busy um, out on the road selling the fund, and I've been too busy working in the office. But um, you know, it's good that we can kind of get down to it and do another podcast. Uh, well, I'm not sure you've been in the office, and I think I've been <laughs> trying to sell the fund. It's different from selling. <laughs> um, anyway, so Fred, this week we were supposed to be having the CEO of Greg's on the podcast. Um, But unfortunately, he's postponed until um, the next one. So hopefully in in a couple of weeks times. Uh, So I thought um, we'd stick with the luxury theme of Greg's and Mm. um, discuss luxury stocks. Well, very, I I mean, very exciting. I say that I'm starving because I was saving myself up for a sausage roll on the podcast with with uh, with with Greg's. But uh, that's going to have to wait. That is going to have to wait. No, no, um, no sausage rolls in, um, in on this pod, Fred. It's going to be much more kind of caviar and um, smoked salmon. Lovely. Champagne on the side. Champagne on the side. So, Fred, USA has tech and Europe, well, it's probably France really, has, has luxury goods. But I've got a quick question for you. Over five years, who has outperformed European luxury or US tech? Oh, that is a really good question. Uh, I'm complete finger in the air. Don't overthink it, Fred. I'm going to say US tech. Yeah, you're correct, US tech. Um, but what has outperformed US tech or LVMH, Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy? Um, I feel like you're walking me into the LVMH. Yeah, Fred, LVMH. Lovely. Nicely held my hand through that one. Yeah, Very no, that's, what, that's what I'm here for. Um, over five years, LVMH's total returned 355% versus the Consolidated U.S. Information Technology Index, which has returned total returned 186%. God, it's been it's been a hell of a stock. It has been it's it's been a good place to be if you're a European investor. Um, so, Fred, I'm going to test your general knowledge with um, with luxury businesses. Give me give me some some European and U.S. luxury names. Okay, so the, these are the businesses or the brands? No, or the, let's do the listed. Let's do the listed. The listed conglomerates. Okay. LVMH is one. I'll start you off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We got Richemont. Richemont. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, we have Kering. Yeah. Offices oh, just behind ours. Yeah. Owner of Gucci. We have uh, Montclair. Yeah. Ferrari. If you call them a luxury good, which yeah, I call Ferrari. Would. I've also got on my list Hermes. Christian Dior, Hermes. What about in the UK? Well, debatable here. I, I I know that people in the in the fashion industry can turn their nose up at a couple of UK luxury goods. Burberry, Burberry, Bur- yeah, Burberry is- listed. Mulberry also listed. And Mulberry, yeah. Aston uh, Martin. Aston hasn't Martin be, hasn't been yeah. a great listing. Is that British? Um, well, Good question. British name, British brand, kind of mainly US owned, isn't it? Or Canadian owned, yeah, or whatever. Canadian is, owned. Lance um, Stroll. What's his father. name? Yeah, Stroll. Um, uh, so, and 
I, I, I'm, or, or you could talk about like a Vivian Westwood, Alexander McQueen. Um, but I don't think they're listed, Fred. No, okay, okay, we're sticking listed. Yeah, but God, you've got great luxury knowledge. Yeah, um, well, I, I had a tip off. We we're talking about this. So I give you a few quick fires. I'm going to give you a kind of general consumer brand, and you're going to tell me the luxury equivalent. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. So let's start with um, a Volkswagen Polo, your car. <laughs> it's not my car, Volkswagen Golf. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, oh no, so you are way more luxurious than a Polo. You have a Golf. <laughs> let's go Rolls Royce. Uniqlo. Louis Vuitton. Yeah, Swatch. Rolex. Mars Bar. <laughs> Toberone. <laughs> I'm not sure it's, that's it could luxury. Be called luxury. You do get it in every. Um, you do get it in every um, airport, um, and that's always a sign of, of, of luxury. Yeah, um, yeah, dime. Dime, dime bar. No, you're probably talking about yeah. something kind of like um, lint, surely. Swiss lint, chocolate, no, anything I'm, Swiss. I'm trying to think of chocolatiers in London, and I Press cannot that. think of one. Charbonnel at Walker. Okay, yeah, there we go. We got there. Um, and um, finally, Fred, as we kind of do a kind of deep dive in your luxurious career, um, aside from um, Mrs. Mayne's engagement ring, what is the most luxurious item you've ever bought? Oh, interesting, Rory. Um, I'm going to come back at that with my own quiz, which might Are answer you? this. Okay. Um, it's a bit of a show and tell, actually. A note for the listeners, as I asked that question, Fred was looking around his room to see what that Jewish <laughs> item he has. And from the Zoom screen, all I can see is a Hoover, but it's not Dyson. So I'm not too sure if that can count as a luxury item he's bought. So, so I'm, I'm going to show you um, that, yeah, I had a search around the, the, the flap for the most luxury things that I could find. Okay. Oh, I like that, Fred. I like this. Um, and you're not allowed to laugh. So I'm, I'm just going to show it to you and you got to tell me what it is. Okay, Fred has put on a pair of Ray-Bans, looking like a member of the Blues Brothers. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, that's number were they, one. Were, were they Wayfarers? We'd call them Wayfarers, wouldn't we, to, um, for the listeners, so they can yeah. really see what, 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 I'm, what, I'm, what you're wearing. A Le Creuset casserole dish. Again, I'm, I'm not sure this is prime luxury, but we're I'd, getting there. I'd call that quite luxury. Oh, yes. And um, the Dyson hot and cold air filtration um, filter or fan, which Fred stole from the office. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Penultimate. Penultimately. If I can get it. Fred has picked up what looks like a sofa cushion. And I'm guessing that is your loaf sofa cushion. Yeah, I would say that goes down as my most opulent purchase. It, it is in a lovely shade of dark green velvet. It's very smart. It would it would be it would make a good smoking jacket that colour. Thank you very much. And finally, and finally, Fred has lifted up a silk tie, which looks like it has got his cricket club's emblem, the WG11. That's a shout out to that? Simon Elliott. There we go, Anaraki. Um, okay, Fred. So you've bought lots of luxurious items, but yeah, not bad. But let's get to the let's get to the meat of it. What you know, what makes a luxury good? What what you know, what's the difference between my produce, luxury, and your produce, you know, general consumer? Yeah, well, it's it's um, it's it's a certain kind of exclusivity, certain quality associated with it. But um, I'd say it, it slightly transcends that. It's it's 
a case of what do you stand for and and how, how do you want people to see you it's it it's 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 this this whole mystique around luxury brands you're you're, you're not buying a louis vuitton handbag because you think it's high quality uh, I, I mean hopefully it will be high quality but it's everything that comes with that 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 you're purchasing yeah so in my head i had quality yeah which includes kind of everything from the service to the to manufacturing i had scarcity you know you want something which is which is which is which is rare, so which you, you show off, um, which leads itself to price. You know, it's going to be scarce because the price is going to be so high. And then all these brands like to operate, you know, out of ridiculously expensive locations. You don't see, um, you don't see Louis Vuitton shops down in um, in Shepton Mallet or um, you know, or in Scarborough. Well, in Shepton Mallet, you'll find a, a luxury um, mulberry store, I believe. Yeah, actually, I got that completely wrong. Great knowledge from you, Fred. <laughs> Um, but you'd see them more in, you know, Saint-Tropez or Courchevel or, or, or Fifth Avenue or right by our office in, in Bond Street. And, yeah. um, and basically what luxury goods are, are, are they're, they're Veblen goods, aren't they? Very good use of your, your exam revision there. Would you like to finish, finish showing off there? Yeah, well, I'll finish showing off. Um, what, what Veblen goods are is they're luxury goods of which the, the demand of a good increases as, as the price increases. So in contradiction to the, to the laws of su- supply and demand. So um, as the price goes up, the demand goes up because um, it's a Veblen good. Um, and that's why you see with all these um, stock, all these kind of businesses, you, you'll, you'll, you'll find that, that scarcity is very important to them. So, for example, we, we saw in the press last year or two years ago that uh, Louis Vuitton and Burberry decided to destroy all of their unsold goods. Um, rather than do a kind of 50% off sale or Black Friday sale, or you know, in in the case that appeals to you, send them to TK Maxx so you can kind of fish them off bargain rail. And mm. um, they decided to destroy them to keep up the scarcity and the and the quality in the uh, of their goods. Yeah, but, I mean, w- would you say that buying something luxury is it's it's almost a an emotional purchase? So it's 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 that sense of treating yourself. It's it's something that you've been looking forward to doing and and you you might go into the store and they i mean louis vuitton talk about their stores being brand cathedrals and and they're not necessarily expecting you to buy there and then but they're they're expecting you to engage at a at, at an emotional level with this brand and and feel like you're part of this this the 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 dream that is luxury goods yeah that's 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 a good that's a great term there for a, a brand cathedral yeah it's good um, i read it they've got these um they, they have these techniques, don't they, for for, for selling their their uh, their produce. They've got, you know, they limit their production to support high prices, and that in you know, high prices and, and limited production equals kind of wide operating margins. And they've also got a strategy called artificial scarcity, which is what you described as 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 as, as demand, um, you know, creating um, a product as an exclusive status symbol. Since not everyone can have one, people naturally want it more. So, you know, the prime example of that is Ferraris or um, or Birkin handbags. So, um, in Q3 uh, of um, of 2021, Fred, how many cars do you think Ferrari sold versus how many cars do you think General General Motors sold? Okay, again, this this is going to be nowhere near right. Um, Ferrari in the tens of thousands. No. More. No, less. But tell me less. what you think General Motors is as a comparison. Anyway, just, just give me General Motors numbers, and I'll, and I'll fill you okay. in. Okay. I'll enlighten your mind. Uh, General Motors, uh, 
500,000 cars. Well done, Fred. So General Motors has sold just around 450,000 cars, whereas in Q3, Ferrari only sold 2,750 cars. Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, and just for reference, Tesla sold 240,000 um, uh, cars over, over, that, over that same period. Mm. But what that's showing is that um, the scarcity value of Ferrari means that the, 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 the cost of these things are so much higher that that's how they that's how they can kind of be as successful a company or you know actually a more successful company than General Motors even though they sold you know t- millions times less you know hundreds yeah. of thousands less. Um, uh, Birkin bags, Fred. Birkin bags. You you've been going on about these. Uh, I've yeah. got to say I've got pretty limited knowledge on a Birkin bag. Um, well, um, I once well, we once had a client who decided to um, change up their portfolio and and move from. Um, Fixed interest into um, <laughs> into into Birkin bags. Interesting. Um, Sim- a bit uh, more is it, is it similar asset class? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. You don't get so much of a yield in a Birkin bag, but um, you do <laughs> get um, you do get a, a lot of, as I'm going to tell you, a lot of capital appreciation. Do you have any idea about a Birkin bag, or should I just dive right in there and, and, and tell you? Do you get even know? Who Jane, do you know who Jane Birkin is? Uh, I do not. Can you take a guess? Celebrity. Well, good guess. Well done, Fred. Uh, she is a singer, actor, model who was famously linked musically and romantically to Serge Gainsbourg. And on a flight in the 80s, she sat next door to the CEO of Hermes. Um, and as she put her straw bag into the overhead um, locker, uh, all the contents fell onto the floor, you know, leading her to have to go down and pick them all up. Uh, as she was sitting door, down next door to the CEO of, um, of, of Hermes, uh, she explained that she found it very hard over her weekend in Paris to find a, a leather weekend bag uh, that she liked. Um, so um, um, Mr. Hermes, wasn't well, Mr. Hermes, but CF Hermes decided to, to create her one. Wow. And the Birkin bag was born. And the Birkin bag is born. And what makes Birkin bags so popular is that they're distributed to, to Hermes stores on unpredictable schedules and, and in limited qu- qualities, which creates artificial scarcity and inclusivity. Um, so you could go into a shop and there may not be one, or you can go into a shop and and and, and there may well be one. Um, and it's got a serious kind of secondary market. So in um in I've got prices from 2020. If you went into a store and you lucked out, um, you could find a regular leather Birkin bag for um eleven thousand dollars. Okay, I've just gone online now to kind of eBay, and I've got a very smart Birkin bag here, incredibly smart, and it's got. A picture of um, Mr. Monopoly on it. And he's holding a money money sack. Um, how much do you think I could take that off? Just just straight off, kind of eBay. What, how much do you reckon that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna cost? D- double their money. Twenty thousand. No, seventy thousand. Um, seventy thousand. Well, eighty-five thousand dollars actually. So it's literally a money bag. It's literally Mr. Money bags, Fred. Um, and um, and the the record the record for um, a Birkin bag, which was made of exotic. Um, I think exotic um, uh, uh, cowhide skin and diamonds was sold at auction by Christie's in Hong Kong for a record price of three hundred eighty thousand dollars. That's quite the return. Yikes! And um, commission will you, by will, will you be in the market for one? Well, I don't think I will be actually, Fred. But um, Mrs. May would be very uh, lucky if she got one of those for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and a bodyguard to come with her. And a bodyguard to come with it. Um, but um, in 2018, a, a, um, a, a study was commissioned by um, one of these secondhand handbag retailers, 
And uh, can you believe it? From a period of 1980 to 2018, so the kind of period at the time the survey was commissioned and the period that Birkin bags were sold, that the average annual return of a Birkin bag was 14.2% versus the S&P 500 at 8.65%. God, we're in the wrong job, I think. I think we're all. We maybe we should be um, buying um, some Birkin bags in the portfolio. Yeah, yeah, it it should definitely be an allocation, I think. Well, we're not. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to hold those beds. Not <laughs> sure. Too sure. I trust the security in your Shepherd's Bush flat. <laughs> okay, Rory. Um, I've had a a question on the tip of my tongue as we've been going through this, which is just are are the Europeans, particularly the French and Italians, are they just better at this than us? Yeah, I would say that I would say that that quality it it it, it probably comes from Europe. If you think about you think about high quality things, you think about kind of Italian leather, don't you? Or you think about French food or French fashion. Those words slip off the tongue when you think about when you, when you think about luxury. Mm. Um, and I think in America, you've got a few luxury brands. You've got probably more of the jewelers, haven't you? Like Tiffany's, who obviously just been bought by um, LVMH. And then in the UK, they've all been sold, really, haven't they? You know, Rolex, Rolls Royce, Bentley, they're all under under foreign ownership. Yeah. And I think the real trend with these luxury businesses is is consolidation and and, and globalization. LVMH yeah, so has got seventy five brands. At, we're not very good at keeping hold of our luxury brands. No, we're terrible at keeping hold of our luxury brands. They all end up, you know, it will, you know, many British businesses will end up being being bought by by foreign businesses. But you know, LVMH, you've got seventy five brands which they call houses. So not you know not kind of cathedrals like you, but you know seventy five maisons, seventy five houses. You know, ranging from Dom Perignon to Christian Dior to to, to super yacht builders, a company called Royal Van Lent. Um, so you kind of you can kind of do everything. You know, you know if you've got enough money. Yeah, it's an um, it's an unbelievably powerful uh, sort of shop of brands there, and and it's it's a case of sort of strong get stronger there because when you, um, I imagine, uh, having not sold luxury brands at LVMH myself, but when when you get enveloped into that, you're suddenly hooked into their whole global network, uh, and suddenly you've got one of the most powerful marketing teams, distribution teams uh ideas people designers everything all behind you yeah so, and that so coupled it, with, it, it just gets stronger and stronger exactly and that coupled with a personal service to their customers their high-end customers means that these customers will keep on coming back for more and um you know we've always found um at, at um you know at, for us at the fund level that we've held lvmh for, for probably about seven years in the fund now is it's been a really good way for us to play middle east uh, the, the the far east really isn't it china China, yeah. LVMH, um, Asia accounts for 43% of its total revenues, which is just under 20 billion euros um, for Q3. Um, so, um, you know, it's a good way for for, for, for managers to, to play China without kind of being invested in Chinese Chinese stocks, Chinese A shares. Yeah, I, I mean, China seems to have this insatiable appetite for for European luxury. And th- th- this is just some stats that I, I pulled from, from our brokers, Jeffries, that uh, as a percentage of the global market, uh, back in 1995, China was about one percent of the luxury goods sales. Yeah. In 2010, they were 18 percent, and Jeffries yeah. Jeffries reckon it'll be about half of global luxury within the next couple of years. That's Isn't nuts. that unbelievable? That's nuts, and, if, and especially if you if you kind of come further a bit west to start adding in 
all the Middle East money, the Emirati money in Dubai, Qatar, um, uh, Saudi Arabia, and so on. Then, then you're you're really looking at, at a kind of at a kind of demographic change of, of money being being made and 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 being spent on that on that side of the of the world. Yeah, it's it, it's an extraordinary demographic shift that is has has just completely turned the industry on its head. And and to be honest, it's 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 not a question of whether you're investing it now. It's a question of were you investing it in it 10, 20 years ago? And 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 someone like a Louis Vuitton or or Kering who are behind Gucci, that they're the businesses that have been investing in this. And that's why, or, or that's not the only reason, but it's a huge reason why they've been so successful. Uh, and and left a lot of the industry in you know in their wake. Yeah, exactly. So you know, and, and for those reasons, we believe that luxury luxury um, businesses are, 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 should be a kind of key part of, of, of quality growth portfolios. Great. Well, Fred, um, I think we've covered all the luxury stocks, there, haven't we? Yeah. Right. Yeah. A very interesting run through. Um, and yeah, look forward to to you showing us off a few of your luxury goods uh, on future podcasts, please. Well, yeah. Hopefully, we'll get to go. To, we'll get to kind of turn into video podcasts, and and then um, people will be able to watch us on YouTube, and they can uh, see us in our very smart, uh, suited and booted ties, and and so on. I'm sure. I'm sure our producer Rosie will be very happy with that. Well, next week we've got the CEO of Greg's on, so we'll go from Don Perignon to sausage rolls. And um, Fred, I'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning, um, so we can head up to Leeds and Manchester to go and see some of our podcast listeners. Looking forward to it. Thanks as always, Roy. All right, go well.